Well, hey, dealmakers, and welcome to the show where it's all about financial freedom with real estate. You know, common misconception with people who are starting out in real estate investing, even people who listen to the show or read the book, is that you have to start small. Now, you got to start somewhere. And typically, no matter where you start, they're going to get bigger from that point forward. But I'm talking about starting small. I'm talking about thinking small. And when I say about thinking small, there's nothing particularly wrong with it. I'm just saying you're thinking, uh, you're focusing on your first deal. And we you know, talk about our first deal all the time and how important that is. But there's a few people who already think past the first deal. They're thinking past the second, third deal. And they're already thinking, hey, my gosh, I'm going to have a portfolio of a thousand units. And they're starting to think in their mind and visualize, well, who do I need to bring on? What systems do I need to put in place? How do I raise all this capital? And what they're doing, even before they've done their first deal, is they're essentially already creating a business plan in their mind, or maybe even on paper, on creating a multi-million dollar business. Now, almost everyone figures this out once they do their first deal. They're like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. And especially after they've done their, their second and third deal, they start clicking and they go, oh my gosh, I am basically starting a multi-million dollar business and I'm quitting my job to do it full time. But there's a small number who do it even before their first deal. And that's kind of the focus of our show today. We have on show Chris Roberts today, who started two and a half years ago, not having done a single multifamily deal. And he's purchased over a thousand units as an active operator, not like, you know, raising capital or, or becoming an LP, but an active. And he talks about on the show how he did that and how different the business is and how much quicker he was able to scale this business than some of the other business that he's that, that he started over in his in his lifetime. And this is super interesting because I think you can shortcut your success by thinking a little bit more strategically, thinking a little bigger, and really thinking about that this is kind of a um, a full-time business and a multi-million dollar business. And one of the things that he talks about in the show is one of his first events he went to two and a half years ago was an event that we put on called Financial Freedom Summit. That event has been renamed Dealmaker Bootcamp, and that's actually happening this weekend. So if you are around this weekend, it's it's happening. It's a uh, it's in Orlando, Florida, go to dealmakerbootcampevent.com and see if you can still grab some tickets and see if you can jot down to Orlando and join us. It's basically where we simulate a first deal. So if you haven't done your first deal yet, and Chris had not at the time, this expanded his comfort zone substantially, and he was able to meet his partner at, at this event as well. So check that out, Dealmaker Bootcamp event uh, this weekend as well. I want to give a shout out to Brian J on Amazon. He read The Yellow Book. And he says, it's well-written and laid out. Thank you. Uh, Michael's approach is user-friendly, manageable, and motivating. This book is an honest look. And it is an honest look because I, I talk about some of the downsides as well. Like getting started multi-female real estate investing and what it can do to change your life. Not only that, but a real plan to make it happen with several additional resources listed and recommended. In fact, I have a free companion course that comes with the book as well. So check that out. It's called Financial Freedom with Real Estate Investing on Amazon. So thank you for that, Brian, as well. Give us a shout out anywhere on social media. Ask us a question, give us a shout out, and we'll do that uh, on the next podcast as well. Also want to give a shout out to anyone who does a first deal. And this week, it's Jonathan Nichols. He's closed two more deals since his initial deal. It was an eight unit in Arlington, Texas, and a 75 unit in College Station, Texas, which was an $8.6 million deal. That was the second. And he actually quit his W-2 job six weeks ago. And that is awesome. And uh, he was one of our uh, mentoring students as well. So I want to give a shout out to our mentoring program. If you value mentoring and you want to scale faster, avoid some of the bigger mistakes, then check out our mentoring program. It's at themichaelblank.com forward slash mentor. So with that, let's bring on our, our co-host, Garrett Lynch. Garrett, what's going on today? What's going on, Michael? 
Hey, I want to talk about this mindset about, you know, starting this as a business from day one versus kind of legging into it, doing a first deal and seeing where it goes. Now, nothing particularly wrong with that because everything starts with a first deal. But I just observe that some people approach it right before, even before the first deal, they already know in their mind they're building this, this huge business. You know, what are some of the mindset shifts that people need to think about to kind of get to that point? Yeah. So I think if you're considering doing this as a larger business, obviously getting educated is super important, understanding what you need to actually scale it. So first of all, it's super powerful to go into it with that kind of a mindset. Even if, you know, it's like that analogy, if you shoot for the stars, you land on the this cloud or whatever, that it's similar. If you're like, I want to get a thousand units next year. And you know, what, what do you really need? Well, you need the capital, you need the ability to get loans, and then you need the deal. The business itself, those are the kind of the key components. And so if you can piece those things together and people do that, they're like, you know what? I got this, which is kind of actually what I did when I started out. I, I realized that we had the components. We were, I was working for a guy that owned apartments at the time and we're like, shoot, we have the guy that can help us get the loans. We have uh, ability to get capital. And then we got the deals. Let's just marry them all. And let's see how far we can scale this. And if you find those three things, then you can look at it that with that kind of an approach and that mindset. And I think the people that do that are those people that have figured out they have those resources available or know where to find them. I think people eventually will figure it out. What I'm what I'm saying, the focus on this episode is to encourage people to think about it even before the first deal. The downside of doing that is that it overwhelms people. It's like, I'm going to get the thousand units. And Chris Roberts, literally when I met him two and a half years ago, says, I'm going to get the thousand units. The problem I have with that is most people are dreamers because they can't connect what they need to do today with their ultimate goal. And so as a result, they never do anything. But Chris is not one of those people. And if you're kind of a bigger thinker, then think through some of those because you have to. It, it forces you to do interesting mindset shifts in your in your brain, right? If you actually serious about bring building a thousand units, then you got to think about well, like you said, where am I going to get the capital from? Well, my gosh, maybe I need a brand. I need a brand. I need a website. I need to. I need to set up networking. Uh, I need to set up operations. I need some kind of uh, CRM system to manage all this stuff. I probably need staff. Well, maybe I can't. How am I going to afford stuff? I might need a partner. And so what it does is it forces you to think slightly bigger than someone who says, hey, I'm just going to do my first deal and see where it goes. That's all I'm saying. And my observation with people like Chris Roberts, for example, is that they scale very, very rapidly because they've already thought about it even before the first deal. In fact, in Chris's case, the first deal, I think in his mind was already a foregone conclusion. It wasn't like, if I do a first deal, it's like, when I do a first deal in my second and third and fourth, what do I need to do? And that's kind of the focus of this, this podcast here. And Chris Roberts, he's been a full-time entrepreneur for a, a while, since uh, mid-2000s. He's uh, formed a, a several small businesses uh, before getting into multifamily two and a half years ago. He's the founder now and CEO of Sterling Rhino Capital. It specializes in investor relations, commercial debt, managing financials, and multifamily investing. And like so many, he did dabble in real estate. He flipped a couple things. And now he's focused on nothing but 100 plus unit of multifamily apartment buildings. In fact, that was his mission even early on. He didn't dink around with you know a duplex even from the very start. He said, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go right big. And he realized he couldn't do it himself. And so that's what we're going to get into right now is how do you develop a, a larger scale mindset right from the get-go? Let's get right into the show here with Chris Roberts. You're listening 
to the Financial Freedom with Real Estate Investing podcast, hosted by Garrett Lynch and Michael Blanc, where we talk all about how you can achieve financial independence through apartment building investing. Whether you're just starting out or you want to scale your syndication business, this is the show for you. Chris Roberts, welcome to the show today. Michael, Garrett, thanks guys for having me. Appreciate it. Yeah, it's great to have you on here. And uh, we probably should have done it a little bit before, but gosh, God, we're all so busy. But I'm really glad that you're here. And we met, gosh, I don't know, a couple of years ago now. And I've been watching you from afar. And you've just been crushing it from an early, early on. And I want to get into how you did that because some people are more deliberate. You know, they grow, you know, slowly and there's nothing wrong with that. You kind of took the the rhino by the horns, right? And kind of just scaled up uh, kind of quickly. And so we want to understand how you, how you did that. But what I'm more interested in right now is to understand what why did you even get involved in real estate? Because, you know, you've done some entrepreneurial stuff. You have a, a business or two and did reasonably well. So what were you doing before? And then what precipitated you, you know, looking at real estate? Like, what was that for you? And why did you start looking at real estate at the time? Well, thank you for the question, Michael. And and I, I think everyone has to have, they call it a why or something that inspires them or whatever it may be. For me, it was a little bit different. I was early on in my career, I was motivated by money because I grew up really with nothing. I, I kind of had a struggling mom and dad. They were never married and just didn't really have the guidance, didn't really understand money. You know, My mom always told me, if you want something, you got to work for it. But it's like, well, how do you do that? And I'm young and so on and so forth. So at a very young age, I, I sort of had the entrepreneurial bug planted and, and kind of had to figure out, well, how do, how do I grow and what's my motivation? Well, my motivation was I just wanted things. I, I just wanted things like the other kids had, right? I wanted to grow and have some sort of freedom because for me early on, money was that that thing that kind of kind of locked us down and limited us, right? My family, the the food we ate, everything. And so at a very young age, that was kind of instilled in me. And, and as I as I grew and, and built a sales and marketing company, which started on the ground floor just being a sales guy, which was was great. It built my people skills. I then realized, okay, well, now that I'm I'm in this career and I'm making a little bit of money, I need this money to work for me. And how how do I do that? And and so I, I came across several people in my life that that said, you know, you you need to pay less taxes through your investments, and you need to have, you know, you need to figure out how to offset that income that you're making. And uh, and so my motivation early on was. I just wanted things. And that could have been just being able to go to a fancy restaurant like my friends went to with their parents or be able to play a sport because we couldn't afford the equipment costs, right? Or whatever it may be. Uh, and that was my early motivation. Later on in life, it was more about creating that freedom. And they use that term lightly, but for me, it was mental freedom. It was how do I, how do I put myself in a position to create enough passive cash flow to exit? my career or companies because I own a few different businesses. And not that I wanted to because I have no visions of retiring. I technically could retire today, but I have no visions of retiring and quitting. I just want to have the freedom to teach people and to help and to volunteer and to uh, not worry about money coming in as a result of my business diving um, or a company changing, getting acquired and, and pushing me out the door. So I've had some scares throughout my career and my life that affected me uh, or that could have affected me substantially financially. And the primary focus for me as I became an adult was to eliminate that fear and that chance of it occurring. And that was to go and create the passive cash flow. The best way to do that is multifamily real estate, at least in my opinion. And there's a whole long story behind all of that, but that's that's the short story. 
we make changes in our life a lot of times by traumatic events that, that have happened. Like, for example, you talked about, you know, something that could have happened that could have wiped you out. Well, it didn't, okay? It didn't. Uh, sometimes it happens, and it happened to me. And so, you know, when you have this massive problem, you're looking for a solution, and it's a very urgent and very important thing. What I find, though, on the other side is that people who are successful, especially people who have corporate jobs or are successful business people, you know, their life ain't so bad. And therefore, the motivation to make a change is actually relatively low because if it doesn't work out, they have a fallback position. Now, you obviously somehow overcame, I'm going to say overcame this challenge because I think it's a challenge. I think status quo is a major challenge. I see it all the time. It's such a powerful force that keeps people based in their comfort zone. Now, having said that, it's a very nice cushy zone. Okay, but it's it doesn't give them to the next level where they want to go, which in this case is having options like you're talking about, having financial freedom, stopping working and starting doing something. They don't have that. But again, at the end of the day, their life ain't so bad. So how are you able to push through that? Because, you know, your life wasn't so bad. But how did you overcome that? I'm going to call it a challenge. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because it actually it goes back to when I first met you. And what's funny is I always knew at an early age that I would I would do what it what it would take to become, let's just call it successful or effective. I knew that I would put in the work, right? Which is something that's missing in a lot of people. They want to get rich quick. They they want freedom, but they're not willing to put in the work. They're not willing to work two full-time jobs, 18 hours a day, seven days a week for five, 10, 15 years, which is how a lot of these successful people worldwide become successful. It doesn't just happen overnight. They're one-offs, right? And so I knew I had that, but what I was lacking was the direction on how to do it. I had a couple of single families. I started buying a little bit of real estate, 2006, seven, eight, nine, played a little bit, but really wasn't getting anywhere, a couple hundred dollars a month in cash flow. And when I heard you on a podcast, Michael, and then I went to a couple of your events, I signed up for DealMaker certificate. I got certified in the DealMaker event, um, went to the masterminds, went to your three-day event. And it really just opened my mind as to how I could escalate this process. And I mean, we I put myself in a position just three short years later to replace the income of the companies that I was running and own and give me that freedom if I so choose to do that. So how did I make the shift and what forced me to do it? Well, the reality is that no matter who we are or what we own, we are technically owned by somebody. Somebody dictates our livelihood in some way, shape or form, right? It's not it's not like, for example, you have investors. Well, if you don't have investors, you can't do deals, right? So you have to, you have ownership or accountability to those investors. If you have a brick and mortar store, Michael, you talk about the restaurant business. I had a furniture store at one point, right? If customers aren't coming through the door, well, your business could go up or down and you're stuck. You are married to that brick and mortar business, those leases, the, the P&Ls and everything else, and you can't get away from it, right? Um, as an independent contractor, to a certain extent, you can. But what what forced me to make the shift was uh, I had a kind of a, a scare a while back as an independent sales rep uh, from a, a corporate manager who we just kind of rubbed each other the wrong way. And, and there was a little bit of fear instilled in me that perhaps I could lose my contract as a, as a result of this relationship. Now, no matter how many awards I had won, no matter how hard I worked and the time I put in, it didn't matter that there was someone above me that could literally change my future as a result of a simple decision that they had the control to make. And that scared the hell out of me, to be honest with you. I thought, wait a minute, I'm doing everything right. I'm grinding, I'm hustling, I'm putting the work, I'm winning the awards, I'm doing everything. And you mean to tell me that this person could literally make a decision to take me out of that zone? That's crazy to me. And that created enough fear in me to make me realize that I had to 
pave my own way. I had to create my own destiny. And the only way to do that was that passive cash flow. When I met you, it all came together because I thought, okay, now this person's giving me that vehicle to do that. And it's through the scaling of multifamily assets, right? So the question was, who do I hire, i.e., let's say mentor program, to put bumpers on me to protect me so I don't make any major mistakes because I already have the work ethic. And when I put those two together, it was a matter of time before I literally created that financial freedom. And I'm there today. I could retire. I don't want to. I love the business and we're growing like crazy and we're bringing on team members. But that was that was sort of the fear in me was someone else could control my destiny and I wanted control of my destiny. And, and that's why I made the shift. Yeah. So I think that so many people, they're like, you know, I'm going to play it safe. I'm going to get a job. I love what you just said, because to me, it's riskier. That's a riskier option because of the reason you just said. Someone can say, hey, you're fired tomorrow, and then you don't have a paycheck coming in versus you know, you can rely on your own skill and expertise and, and you know, drive to really propel yourself forward on your own. And so I don't think everybody looks at it that way. The safe option to me is the, is the riskiest. So I love, I love that you said that. So then you got, so you got into a place where you're like, listen, this is, this is where I want to go. And what did that discovery period look like for you? Is you, was it just like, oh, there's Michael and click here it is. Or, or what, what did you have to kind of go through to get to where you're at now? Yeah. Well, I think the first thing is, and again, this is a common phrase, but it's like, you, you really have to overcome fear. And I did that at a very early age through a lot of just challenges growing up. So I was never fearful when, when Michael, when we were at our event and Michael was talking about, you know, I want some goals and I was throwing out goals. He actually said to me, man, those are crazy audacious goals. I'm like, yeah, but that's, that's how I roll. Like if I don't, if I don't throw those crazy goals out, well then I'm never going to get even close. Right. Why would I throw goals out? I could reach. Right. So I, I kind of had that mindset early on was how do you, how do you, how do you put the goals way outside of reach so that you just keep grinding and hustling and pushing to get to that point. And I think the shift was when I went there and realized and it was a three-day event, particularly when I went and I, we dove, we deep dove into a deal that really got me thinking, okay, wait a minute. I understand these numbers. I understand this process. This is just systems and processes. Now all I need is maybe some team members or some software to help me run this thing. And I can do this. And it was just that realization that I can do this, but I'm going to have to take massive action now, right? And that's why I, I eventually signed up with programs and, and got things rolling, brought on team members. And we quickly got to, you know, eight, quickly, I say, within, you know, three years or so, got into the, the eighth, eighth deal plus our fund and all the other things we're doing. So the, the shift was I needed tools that could give me the confidence that could educate me enough to go take the action. I was willing to take the action. I was willing to write a check or put in the hours. I regularly put in seven days a week, so that's not a problem. But this is a complicated process and you need tools and mentors alongside to help you grow through that process. I mean, there's a lot of people that sign up for things and they never take the action. So they're there for years and they're not doing anything, right? So it's two, two important pieces. You, you've got to, have, you got to take a ton of massive action and you have to have the tools or mentors around you to keep nudging you along. I hope that answers the question, Garrett. You started several businesses already leading up to this point. But before I got into multifamily, I'd start, start a bunch of businesses. Some worked well, some didn't. But what did you discover were some of the differences getting into the multifamily business versus some of the other businesses that you started or that you were operating? Great question. I would say, number one, 
that was probably a, a value add coming from my position was a sales and marketing career for 20 years because that that helped me develop incredible people skills. And I say incredible as in when I'm dealing with people, I'm told, yeah, man, I you know, you're the kind of guy I could go hang out with. I could, you know, you get this vibe that you're just a people person, right? And I think that's very helpful in this business because it doesn't come natural to a lot of people, right? And so I think the transition was easy for me because I was already a people person. I, I, I lived in this space forever and I love the business planning of performance because in corporate America, you have to run performance and spreadsheets and you have to analyze your business all the time, especially in sales, you're measured constantly. And, and oftentimes I was a commission guy, so I only made money on what I sold. And that was, that was helpful. So the transition to multifamily was a matter of overcoming the fear factor of buying, let's say, across the country versus in your own market, opening yourself up to not being an independent person and actually opening yourself up to bring team members in and or treat them as equals and delegate responsibilities and think of it as a team and as we and not you. That was a, that was a transition point for me. But the fundamentals were the same. It, it wasn't that big a deal, the fundamentals. I think it was just getting very aggressive and then making sure that I identified my strengths early on and filled the puzzle pieces in around me on things I either didn't want to do or things maybe that I wasn't as efficient at as someone else would. And that boded well for me because that mindset brought me to bring in another mentor student that I met in the program. And he became a partner who's critical in our success today. He does all the back end, all the systems and analytics. And and, and we started growing exponentially from there. So. Okay, let's talk about that because you did grow exponentially from from there. Let's talk about maybe how you how you did that, right? It all starts with the first deal. Maybe talk about the first deal, and uh, sure. and your partner. You know how you met your partner and why why did you partner with them? You talked about your strengths and maybe talk about what those were and what Paul were uh, Paul's are and why that partnership worked so well and why it was so critical in allowing you to scale. Love it. This is my favorite thing to talk about because while I'm kind of the face of the company and I'm on a lot of interviews and things like that, I couldn't do this without my team. I mean, I couldn't I couldn't grow as fast as we are without my team. And the reason that dynamic works is everyone has different skill sets and this is a complicated space. If you want to grow fast, you need other people to handle responsibilities. It could be property managers, attorneys, so on and so forth. But even on your internal structure, be it your CRMs, your your, you know, your customer service management, be it uh, investor relations or even asset management, until you grow to a scale where you can outsource, say, asset management to an employee, you got to do it all on your own. And if you don't identify that quickly and find maybe people that like to do that and partner with them, you're going to have to figure it all out. And I can tell you, Michael, from my experience on a first deal, I had about 400 hours minimum, 400 hours in my first deal of my own time. It took 11 months to close it. And now it's, it's, it's very manageable, but it was significant. And I started to bring Paul in about halfway through that deal, but I don't know how future deals, I would have done it without everybody else taking on some of that responsibility. As of this recording, we have 490 reviews on iTunes. So I appreciate everyone who has given this a review, but I want to get the 600, get twice as many reviews that we have as episodes. We have about 300 episodes and I'd love to get the 600 and I need your help. Okay, so we're launching a bit of a challenge here for you. Here's how it works. First, make sure you subscribe 
to the podcast, okay? Use your app, subscribe so you don't miss these episodes that come out every single week. And then leave us an honest review on iTunes. Now, unfortunately, you have to use it through an, an Apple device or you got to download the iTunes app on, on the PC. Really irritating. But if you wouldn't mind, I'd surely appreciate it. Then you text the word contest to 66866. And then we'll just send you a link to enter the drawing, okay? So when you get the link, click on the link and then follow the instructions in there. You're going to enter your email and enter the drawing. And when you do that, we're going to have 10 general winners. You're going to get our best-selling book on Amazon Financial Freedom with uh, real estate. And we just crossed a thousand reviews, Mark, so it's awesome. And you get one of these custom Black Freedom t-shirts that you can't get anywhere except for this challenge and our live events. And so we're going to give away 10 of those bundles. Then we're going to have three runner-up winners. You're going to get the shirt and the Freedom Book. You're also going to get a ticket to our upcoming event, Dealmaker Bootcamp, January 27 to 29 in Orlando. It's super cool. It's a unique experience where you're actually going to do your first deal in one and a half days. That's right. We're simulating your first deal. So if you have not done your first deal, you have to come to Orlando. It's $2,500. Uh, you can find more about that on Dealmaker Bootcamp event.com or just go to website themichaelblank.com but if you enter this drawing you have three chances at winning tickets to that event and then we're going to have two grand prize winners so you're going to get the shirt the book the ticket and you're going to get access to our dealmaker certification which is our online course with a 12-month experience so that gets you a lot closer to doing your first deal it is our it is the online course that we have with our dealmaker mastermind community for a year to get you connected and into your first deal it's a three thousand dollar value so you're going to get about fifty five hundred dollars worth of value in that grand prize so again text the word contest to six six eight six six and get, leave us an honest review on iTunes. We look forward to seeing it there. How did you guys split up roles? And then how did having Paul in the picture help you scale? Having Paul in the picture helped me scale because he said right out of the gate, this was actually his exact words. You don't know what I'm capable of, but I'm looking forward to proving it to you. And when I met him and I said, man, that's the kind of guy I want to partner with, Right. And he, he said, I specialize in you know numbers, analytics. I love the backend stuff, systems, processes. I love solving problems. And I thought, oh, I like doing that stuff too, but that's not my specialty. My specialty is people. I like being in front of people, investor relations. I'm, I'm, I'm the 30,000 foot view guy. I can do everything front to back. I can do deals. I've done flips and fix and all this stuff, but that's not my specialty. I don't want to swing hammers. I don't want to do spreadsheets. And identifying that early is what helped us to grow because Paul deals with, let's say, those things. I deal with the investor relations. And then we bring on a fund manager who does our debt now. So she's debt and fund management, which is great. We brought in an underwriter. So instead of us doing 10, 20, 30 deals a week, right? Now we have an underwriter who focuses on that. It goes to Paul. Then it goes to me for final approval, right? So it's this process as you grow. But Paul and I early on, were doing literally everything, including asset management. Yeah, I think I think that you know, divvying up the responsibilities and understanding that I love how you're able to kind of differentiate that right away out the gate. How did your guys' roles change as you guys grew? Well, the way the roles changed is not so much changed because Paul and I stayed pretty focused when we when we started on on what we were good at. What changed is how dynamic we got in our responsibilities. For example, 
when we started, we found that there was a lot of issues with PPM signings. I'm passively invested in 3,000 doors nationwide. So I had a lot of PPMs coming in from other syndicators. And I found there was a lot of issues with the PPMs. They were very cumbersome and messy. So I said to Paul, how do we fix this? And he started building out systems to make it much, much better, much cleaner, much more efficient. He took everybody's and he said, man, I'm going to take the best of the best and make this better. So his role got more dynamic right? In the systems and processes side. My role got more dynamic in the investor relations side. For example, I said, well, I can only raise so much money organically, right? We have to start networking with CPAs, doctors, so on and so forth. So we started doing that and it started bringing in a lot more money. We realized we need a fund because it's really stressful raising in 30, 60, 90 days. You need a fund so you have some money there and you can bring in the accredited, right? So our roles got more dynamic as we learned more. And then we started adding more people to do some of the things that either we we didn't want to do or we weren't as good at or that we thought would be more efficient if we outsourced them to an admin or an underwriter and so on and so forth. So we brought in a few partners. We brought in some other members that are doing things and, and VAs and such, but that's the gist of it. So the thing is that we, we don't talk a lot about it is the operations and you would call it the back office, right? And and I remember from the house flipping days, and this this is, I think I would agree with this, is that you kind of make your money when you buy the house, right? Now with apartments though, I don't think that's the, the case because if you don't execute in your business plan, you don't make any money at all because there's no value add, right? And so the operations part of it is super important. And so, and a lot of people don't love doing both parts of it, right? And you just you just highlighted that. Therefore, what I love about this is that, that you're bringing on partners. And, and early on, the other thing is you don't have the, the income to to hire an operations person, right? They're, gonna, they're paid six figures. So you don't have six figures coming in to pay an operations person. And so in the beginning, the only thing you have, your only currency you have is equity. And and that's how we how we all get started. And I love how you're focusing on kind of what your co-strengths are and what you love to do. And then Paul, you know, the stuff, he's probably not as much of a people person as you are, right? So being on the phone all day would probably exhaust him, right? And so he's like, thank God, there's Chris doing that kind of things, you know? Now, as you get bigger, you know, you, you start you start dealing with additional challenges. And we talked about some of them, but like, what are you guys doing in particular, especially when you create a fund? You need to, in order to grow the business, you need regular deal flow and you need more money coming in. How are you addressing both of those parts of the cha- the challenges of the business? It's a couple of things. One, our philosophy in the business is we don't exist with, without our clients and our and our partners. Like we don't exist. We we feel like we're one with everybody, and we treat everyone that way. So what we started early on, and and how we how we stem some of these issues that come up is. You know, when an investor needs to call me, they can get me on my cell phone anytime. Uh, when a partner needs to call me, they can get me at four o'clock in the morning Pacific time because a lot of my guys are on the East Coast or 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock at night. And I know that's insane because a lot of people are like, how do you do it? Got to have time for yourself. You got to do that. That's not how I built my, my businesses. I always built my businesses on putting everyone else first. And as a result, I found that brokers want to do business with us. I found that investors want to invest with us. They want to send their mothers and their fathers and whoever else to invest with us because they feel like we are the kind of people that they would hang out with. And that means a lot in this business, believe it or not. And I found that that was unique actually in this business. There's a lot of really good syndicators, don't get me wrong, but it just wasn't very personal, right? And so we make it very personal. And so that has helped us to organically grow and not just our investor base, but our business. For example, just a tip, for example, I, I was told you got to have, you got to build a relationship with brokers to get deals. And I thought, well, how do you, how do you do that? 
Well, you call and you start talking to us like, yeah, but they see through that. They know I'm new. This is years ago, right? They know I'm new. So how do I build credibility? Well, I flew across the country just to have dinner with some good brokers, top brokers and no big firm, you'd know, and took them out to dinner. It was $500 dinner, right? They offered to pay. I said, no, I'll pay, right? And when I left and I got home, I sent gift baskets to them, right? And I just said, hey, thank you for your time. I appreciate it. It was great to meet you. If anything ever comes up, just let me know. We try to exude that, hey, you're going to love doing business with us, right? And then we try to make it easy. We're selling assets. I said to the broker, I want it to be easy to do business with us. We're not going to nickel and dime the buyers. We just Let's just do some business and have it be fun and enjoyable. And I think that has worked well. And that could come from the, the experience in my sales and marketing career, just being a people person. But we don't want friction. We create frictionless processes. So those two things have really helped us on the team side and the investor side. Yeah. You know, I actually resonate with that a ton, Chris. I think that the, what you're talking about right now is, is one of the number one ways that we actually differentiate ourselves in the marketplace in general. Right now we're, you know, we're in the middle of a transaction where, you know, we're selling a deal and this the buyers are a huge pain in the butt. And I'm like, who wants to do who wants to deal with that? It, it causes friction for the brokers, it causes friction for both parties. It's stressful. So uh, you know, on, on our side, it's always been my goal to make it as painless, as easy. I want people to at the end of the transaction and be like, wow, I can't believe how easy these guys were to work with. We're thorough. We're not missing things, but that's just one area. And imagine like what you're talking about. You can do that in multiple areas of the business. The investing side, it's it's a streamlined process through a software to get into our deals and you had a person on the other line. And so, you know, I, I love that that's been a focus of, of yours so do you, when you're doing these things, you know, what are some of your other big realizations that you found, you know, going deeper into, into maybe some of the different areas of the business where you've implemented this and gotten great results? Sure. Where I found probably our, the biggest sort of epiphany we had, which helped us was we slowed down a little bit, Paul and I, and we said, okay, we're, we're building some relationships with brokers. We're getting deal flow where we actually were getting true off-market deals. And we all know that it's hard to find true off-market deals. They say it, but it's their top 10 or whatever, this kind of thing. But we've actually transacted true off-market deals, which has been great, right? But then we found, okay, wait a minute, we've got to be able to raise capital quickly. And obviously having a thought leadership platform, Michael, I know you have an amazing program. When you have that, it helps, but it still takes time. It's not an overnight thing, right? And so we took about four months and we just focused on building out our thought leadership and really focused on building the investor base, uh, knowing that we, we might lose a few people in the meantime, because once you gain momentum, you've got to kind of keep it rolling, right? Because then you have investors sitting there waiting to come into a deal and they might bounce. But we did it because we knew it would be critical for us to be able to actually execute on our raises. Uh, and then we also utilize the whole team. Everybody's a capital raiser. It's not that it's just the capital raiser guy or whatever on your team. Everyone has to put in the work and hustle. And we've had some creative ideas come out of that process. Even folks that maybe thought, "Why well, I don't know if I can raise a lot. Well, here, let me, let me coach you through it. Let me, let me tell you about my thought process and how I go through it. And if you don't mind, I'd like to touch on something real quick as it relates to capital raising. What's interesting is I actually get a lot of phone calls. I don't, I don't have a mentor program, I, but I, I help a lot of people, right? I get a lot of phone calls from people that have been in programs that I've been in or whatever. And they'll ask questions. They're kind of jammed up because they know that I'm willing to give the time. 
And I'll ask them where they're focused. And oftentimes they've been underwriting deals for like a year, right? Or they've been building relationships with contractors for two years or you name it. And I'm like, well, how much money can you raise? Oh, well, I, I don't know. I, I think maybe a couple hundred. Well, have you raised anything on any deal? Well, no. I'm like, well, wait a minute. You're focusing on underwriting and contractors and brokers, and you can't even raise a couple hundred thousand and you're trying to do this on your own, right? And so what I found is really interesting is that folks, even when they sign up for things that will assist them in executing this plan, they don't know what they don't know. They don't identify their value proposition and they don't have enough direction that fits their needs specifically. In other words, you could tell people, here's how you do this. But if someone isn't identifying their particular strengths and weaknesses and putting them down a lane where they could be successful, they're going to struggle all over the place. And I found that. So I would encourage anyone that's listening to quickly identify that, right? And get down that lane so you can start to build some success. That's a good point. One size does not fit fit all, right? And so you can say, well, here's all the 10, you know, 20 steps you have to do, but it doesn't mean that you should do all of them, right? And I, I think having some guidance, especially when you're working with a mentor, like like you said, someone more experienced who looks at you and goes, Chris, you know, you're a very capable guy, but probably not a good time for you to spend time in spreadsheets all day long, you know, and doing, you know, lease audits. And you're like, yeah, yeah, that really, whew, that tires me out, you know? And so knowing that, even though recognizing that it's also necessary to do those things and opens you up to kind of look out and partner with people. And that is just magical because now, you know, one plus one is far greater than two. And that's the sign of a true partnership. And that's what I love about this business is you can do the thing that you're good at and what you love to do and have someone else do the same thing. And now you get the whole thing done. And so that's what I love about that. Now, what do you, uh, I'm curious now, what are you guys struggling with right now as you're looking forward into the, into the new year? It always goes down to deal flow and capital. It's, it's like, that's the primary focus of all of our businesses, like deal flow and capital. And so you're, you're trying to time, do I have the right amount of deal flow, whether it be off-market deals or, or on-market deals, or do I have enough capital to, to transact these deals? Of course, you can always bring in other money, but it's expensive, right? So the ultimate goal is for you to do it all on your own inclusively. That's always the challenge. You know, right now, we're, we're growing. I mean, we're we're growing fast. I think I mentioned when we were talking earlier. You know, we're 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 selling two properties and we're closing four. Like, I mean, that's a lot going on at the same time. Well, then all of a sudden you've got capital coming back that you have to deploy in a certain amount of time, right? And and that so that's the the part where we're we're kind of I guess the the flux we're in is we're starting to grow. We're, there's a lot of moving parts now, and we're bringing on new software to help us manage our assets. We're bringing on team management software in addition to active campaign, all the other stuff that we had already, and obviously team members as well to help us grow. And I think where people where people are challenged early on is they think, well, if I partner with a bunch of people or I buy software, well, I can't make any money, right? Or I got to give up my ownership, and I'm not I'm not willing to do that. And it's like, but no, what you don't understand is if you invest in your business and in the people around you, everyone will make money. There's plenty of money in this business, right? Uh, but you have to do all that, so. Yeah. So what's your what's your advice for uh, someone, you know, listening, watching this right now? And, you know, they want to do what you've done and, you know, maybe more advice around, you know, we talk about the first deal a lot because it's it's super important. But I've noticed there's a difference. Some people 
who kind of approached this from a more of a side gig and hobby perspective to someone who right from the get-go understands that they're building a multi-million dollar business. Their mindset is slightly different uh, and then therefore their actions are different than someone who just was doing this kind of on, on the side. Now, most people, once they do their first deal, it hits them like a brick going, holy crap. All of a sudden, this is a multi-million dollar business, but they don't quite believe it before then. And some people, you know, they see readily past the first deal. Not everyone, but some people see past the first deal. I think you saw past the first deal. You, you, I think in your mind, the first deal was a foregone conclusion, and you're already thinking, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, how do I build this into a really meaningful business? Help uh, the listeners kind of get their mind around that. Hey, you know, I don't, I haven't done any multifamily yet, but how does someone basically build a multi-million dollar business from scratch? Thank you for the question, Michael. And I, I would say it's, it's actually, it's pretty simple, but it's mostly getting out of your own way. And I, I've talked about this a ton with people is in your own way could be, well, I want to do it all on my own because you know I want all the money. Or it could be, I'm going to do it all on my own because I don't trust anyone or whatever, right? You've got these roadblocks. And I think what's interesting, and, and I guess the piece of advice I would give people is, you know, in my case, for example, I, I, I went into it knowing I'll do a multifamily deal. Okay, great. No problem. But then I quickly realized, man, there's a lot of work in this thing. So I've got I've to identify somebody who can maybe help. And don't be afraid to partner with someone across the country. Don't be afraid to partner with multiple people. Don't be afraid to leap outside your comfort zone and just get some momentum going. Get that one first small deal. Maybe it's 20 units. We, we said right at the gate, we're not going to do any deals under 100 units, period. That way, I was laser focused on that right at the gate. And sure enough, we did. First one was 112, then 104, 372, 104. I mean, on and on and on. But we focused on that early. So, I would any piece of advice, the, the main piece of advice I would give anybody trying to get in this space is first of all, you've got to sign up for some sort of program that gives you guidance. It could be videos, software, tools. Um, the SDA is an amazing tool, still use it. Mentor programs, just something that will give you not just guidance, but will give you a network, right? Because I met my partner that I attribute our success to today at an event. It was the DealMaker uh, certification event. And from there, we brought on another mentor student that came along and is doing our underwriting now. So I would say, don't be afraid to go out there and get outside your comfort zone and partner with people. You can do it on your own, but it's a lot harder and uh, it's going to take you a lot longer for sure. That's awesome, Chris. Yeah, I, I definitely relate to that. When I was getting back into the business, my second round, I really had to start a whole new network and I made a commitment that I was going to go to two events a month for that entire year. And I met a ton of great people in that process and ended up partnering with Michael and Drew. So it's uh, it's definitely a, a, a very important part for sure. Chris, where, how can people get a hold of you? Yeah, you can find us at sterlingrhinocapital.com. Um, that's our website. And we pretty much everything you need there. We've got YouTube and Facebook and all that LinkedIn, but finding us on uh, on our website is probably the best way. Everyone aspires to leave their career and, and create enough passive cash flow to leave and retire. But what I found was a, was a major strength in Paul was he had a, a goal of a one year after we partnered of leaving his career. And he actually left three to four months and became basically financially free and said, look, I, I'm done. I'm going full-time. I'm going to put a lot more time into this. And then shortly thereafter, we brought in another partner that was full-time. He's our underwriter, but he does some asset management as well. So the, the reason I wanted to highlight this is because 
it's kind of scary to think, well, I'm going to go partner with a bunch of people. But you have to realize that if you're working a full-time job, it's really hard to scale your business. But if you have partners that are full-time or even one that's full-time uh, that help you scale so that then you can all leave your careers, it's very helpful. So I just wanted to highlight that. You might find that partner that is either full-time now or is aspiring to be full-time. And maybe one of you makes the decision to burn the boats early. That's very helpful. Great. Well, Chris, thank you so much for your time today. You're, you have a, a ton of knowledge and you've done so much in the business in such a short amount of time. Uh, we really appreciate it. Thank you, Garrett. Michael, I appreciate it. Well, one of the things that Chris said that sticks out for me, because I see it as a common thread, whether I'm talking to Dave Meltzer or Jordan Harbinger or anyone, even Grant Cardone, the one theme that everybody comes up is you got to put in the work. And Chris Roberts said that today. And, you know, back in, in I find that people who have backgrounds in sales, for example, they develop a work ethic because if you don't pick up the phone, you're not going to make any sales, right? So someone with a sales background gets that hammered into them and, and other types uh, don't necessarily develop the work ethic they need, especially the repetition early on. And so one of the things that I observe over and over again is you got to put in the work and you got to put it in even if you don't feel like it. And sometimes you don't even enjoy it. And I think that's a common theme. And that's, that's one of the things I remember from the, from the conversation with Chris. Yeah. If you could summarize that up into one word, it's sacrifice. And part of that, is, it's just what it is. In some way, shape, or form, you're going to be sacrificing somewhere. That said, I found that a lot of people that go into that, something that's, that's for themselves, they're just naturally motivated because they get into it and they're like, wow, you know, this could change my life. And then it starts to become easier. There's going to be challenges along the way, but you get better at bulldozing them as they come up. Putting in the work is not as hard when you start to see the results. And so I really like that he said that relationships are what really propel you forward. And I think that that's something that's really been on my mind, even this, this past six months, quite a bit is I'm like, why are we so, why are people more attracted to us as a company than some of the, our other counterparts? And I think it's because we really focus on the relationships and getting in front of people where maybe even our, our site managers, they don't have direct access to their owners. You know, I show up on the calls or Drew will show up on the calls and, and talk to them and our investors, we get in front of the, you know, their, our key investors. We focus a lot on the relationships in general. We've seen the fruits of that. And I, I think that he was spot on with that comment. Yeah, relationships are, are, are key. And you're, you're right about the investors and, and relations with, with your investors, with your brokers, absolutely key. The other thing also is the takeaway for me is uh, sometimes we should think bigger. And like I said before earlier, the problem with thinking bigger is that sometimes it can overwhelm you. So if you're that kind of person, don't think bigger, right? Because what you don't want is think so big that you become overwhelmed and don't take any action. In that case, it's simply just to think of the next three things you should do. And I talk a lot about that. What are the next three things you should do? And do those three things. When you've done those three things, write down the next three things and do those as well. If you are a bigger thinker, then allow yourself to think a little bigger because I think you can really accelerate the process, uh, especially if you surround yourself with a mentor and advisor and are open to partnering and because you're not going to do your first 100 plus unit deal on your own, right? That doesn't happen. But with a mentor and a team around you, it is definitely in the realm of possibility. And people who approach this business from a more of a business perspective, they scale a lot faster. So if you're that kind of person who doesn't get overwhelmed by bigger thinking, 
then really think bigger, right? Sit down and think about what would a thousand unit portfolio look like? And if you're that kind of person, achieving that in a three-year time frame is very much in the realm of possibility. Think about it on, on paper, however you visualize things, what would that look like? You have a thousand units, who's on your team? What systems do you have? Where are you buying? What kind of units are you buying? Things of that nature. And it's if you allow yourself to do that, it would actually help you see forward and, and stay ahead of your, your growth. I didn't do that when I got started. I was like, hey, it's a 12-unit deal. I barely got it done. I was like, oh, this was pretty cool. What should I do next? Right? I never sat there and go, oh my gosh, we're going to now one day own a 2,000-unit portfolio. I just didn't – I wasn't able to develop the belief in myself to do that. And now with 2,000 units, I'm like – well, 10,000 units doesn't seem too outrageous, right? And if you start thinking about 100,000 units, you know, my, my belief now starts breaking down somewhere, I don't know, Garrett, around 50,000 units. I don't know. I'm like, ah, I don't know. I can't wrap my head around 100,000 units, you know? <laughs> 100,000, wow. That's, I don't know. Yeah. You're smart. My brain now. is broken by then, yeah. probably, but <laughs> hard. It breaks hard. Yeah, yeah. Probably around 50, it breaks hard. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it breaks pretty hard. Yeah. So, I mean, again, if you guys can make it this weekend out to Orlando, dealmakerbootcampevent.com, check it out because that will definitely propel you forward. We're going to simulate a deal, a live deal within a day and a half. So, it's definitely a great way to get started with that and, and break through your comfort zone, whatever they are. And if you are uh, more of the passive type and you're listening to this, we'd love to hear from you as well, because man, Garrett, you're working on uh, deals all the time and we'd love to have a conversation with you. So if you're interested in investing passively, uh, check us out at nighthawkequity.com. Click the join button. You can join an investor club and, and schedule a call with us and uh, we can share with you some of our upcoming stuff here as well. So hope you guys uh, found that inspiring. Think a little bigger. If you dare, catch you guys next time. Thanks for listening. Take the next step toward financial freedom by checking out our Freedom Vault, where you can find free resources to help you with apartment building investing. Whether you're an active investor just starting out or looking to scale your syndication business or looking to invest passively, head over to themichaelblanc.com vault to gain access to our Freedom Vault.